0: Why, hello everyone. Welcome to History Spaces. I'm Jerry Anderson and I'm here with Jeff Messerman as usual. Hey there, Jeff. This feels like a new show. Yeah, I think (laughs) we'll. People may have noticed (laughs) we have a new theme song. Benny Goodman and his orchestra doing All the Cats Join In. One of my favorite old big band tunes.
1: And thankfully, he doesn't have a legal team, so he won't sue. So we can use that as <laughs> much all as we, we want. want. <laughs> that's right. The The world of, the happy world of public
0: domain.
1: <laughs> that's what it yeah, is. Yeah, he,
0: he grew up in Chicago, and I guess he got his first clarinet from uh, Hull House, You know, that settlement house that's very famous in Chicago, and he got his music lessons there, and that's where he got his start, and then he ends up being this huge success. Absolutely. So,
1: I mostly know his story from, uh, thanks to Steve Allen, (laughs) because he played him in the movie. (laughs) So, And uh, actually, according to Benny Goodman, uh, he said, I love the movie, it was great, but it had very little to do with my life, (laughs) so...
0: Well, it's <laughs> just like the new movie Harriet. I was mentioning that earlier when we were speaking. That, I mean, it was a very nice movie. Really enjoyed it. Yeah. Uh, celebrating her and her bravery and all that she did, but completely overlooking the fact that she was underappreciated, not appreciated, and really got, well, I just have to come right out and say it, screwed over <laughs> despite all of her service during the Civil War. They wouldn't even give her any pay or a pension. And later on in life, she married a uh, Civil War veteran. And then when he died, and she was very old, they finally granted her a pension of $8 a month. Ooh. And that's all she ever got. (laughs) Not that she was doing it for that reason. However, it just goes, that truth there that I'm mentioning just goes to mention goes to illustrate the fact that black people were so undervalued, unappreciated, and treated as less than human, and even no matter what they did, they were always treated on that lesser level. And
1: We're still recovering from that as
0: we speak. That was something I really objected to in the film, but uh, I don't know. How do you balance that?
1: Another uh, film-to-history thing that uh, took grotesque liberties, but was still a terrific, and this is an interesting thing, it made a great movie, was uh, from a few years back, uh, Saving Mr. Banks about um, P.L. Travers and her bringing Mary Poppins to Walt Disney. Right. And the movie is, and uh, Tom Hanks, America's Nicest man, uh, <laughs> apparently. Yes. Uh, and recent global goal, uh, Golden Globe, he got the um, Demille Lifetime Achievement Award this past week. So
0: mm. I saw know. his speech. Yeah, delivered a very nice speech. Wonderful. And, yeah.
1: yeah, lovely guy. Um, uh, but the film <laughs> is just um, Harlan Ellison, who was I believe kind of there for a lot of that sort of in the background. He said, uh, "This made an absolutely glorious movie," but. They, um, It is more science fiction than anything I ever wrote.
0: <laughs> so. Well, if you want history, you read a book. You don't go to the movies.
1: <laughs> or you could listen to this fine, fine show that we have resurrected.
0: Yes, here we go. We right. have a lot to say today, don't we? Well, you don't, as usual, you don't know what I'm going to be talking about. So
1: I glanced this week, uh, but I didn't did? go deep. I just, I just a okay. passing glance. Although I saw the, I have a feeling, as always, your main topic has nothing to do with where we're going. Not
0: where we're going. <laughs> no. And when I did my research for today's show, I, I was just struck on all the little side streets that one could go down, and all the things that were. Uh, related to this, and you could just wander through all these <laughs> halls and get lost. Well, you and, and I should work for the Department
1: of Public Works, because certainly on this radio show, we're all about uh, side streets. We could cut them plowed very nicely. Yeah.
0: <laughs> And so But I was also struck by the fact that there were so many conflicting stories about so many of the things I was trying to nail down as factual. And so it kind of reminded me of the old quotation by Mark Twain that he said once when someone was talking about his ability to tell a story. He says, well, I can remember anything, whether it happened or not. (laughs) (laughs) So I think I'm going to adapt that sort of thing and just throw it out there and (laughs) (laughs) encourage you and everyone else out there to do their own research. Okay, so let's see. What do we have in my little page of notes here? (laughs) In the late 19th century, that's where we're going, late 1800s, Cambridge University in England was one of the most eminent schools in the British Isles. The sons of the rich and wealthy went there for their educations, Jeff. Just like they go to Harvard, Yale here, I guess. Besides attending to their studies, students at Cambridge then engaged in sporting activities, which were offered for their health and entertainment. One of the most popular sports was competitive rowing. We call it sculling. And the members of the university rowing team were some of the coolest and most fashionable and sought-after young men on campus. I see why they
1: rejected my application now. Yes.
0: <laughs> Can you scull?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I can't.
0: Not that, not that version. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, these, these people on the sculling team, they were greatly admired, the big jocks, on, you know, big men on campus. This led, it seems, to them feeling somewhat special because they were recognized wherever they went on campus. You know, really big. The young men were trendy and very much in vogue, but the amount of popularity they enjoyed, Jeff, was apparently not enough for their very expanded sense of self-importance. Oh, boy. Yeah. I like them already. Yeah, they're not <laughs> no, not No, important. Let's see how more important we can become.
1: I've been told by many people... Uh, that um, I, I've met a lot of important people, and I know that because they, they
0: have told me. <laughs> oh, there's a sign there. <laughs> Let me decide how important you're going to be Absolutely. to me. <laughs>
1: I, my favorite line, of course, is, don't you know who I am? I always respond really well to that.
0: <laughs> No, tell me. Yeah,
1: exactly. You are. Uh, yeah.
0: Well, Jeff, don't you know who I am? I mean, That's right. <laughs> when I walk into the library, heads turn. That's right. <laughs> There's that history guy. Oh, gosh. <laughs>
1: You should throw your weight around town more often. Jerry. Well, I was I was <laughs>
0: humbled the other day when I ran into you by the checkout desk, and uh, we were talking about my radio the radio show. <laughs> and the gentleman next to <laughs> me said, "Oh, you have a radio show!" And he said, "What? What's the name of your show?" And I said, "History Spaces." How nice to see a fan! And he just looked at me with a blank <laughs> face. He had no idea what that show was or who I was. And, I think so. um, perhaps he was thinking to himself, "Those radio people." <laughs> I know. Well, we're kind of a throwback, though, Jeff. I think
1: so. You know, yeah, we everything are. we do here is at CPL Radio is a throwback.
0: So you know, welcome all of you people Thank who are you. into Absolutely. this. Yes. <laughs> uh, now, back to Cambridge. The scholars and members of the rowing team were members of the Saint John's College Cambridge Boat Club. That was their. Uh, the title of the club they belong to. (coughs) Excuse me, Jeff. And in 1889, they decided on a plan to attract even more attention to themselves, Jeff. One of the members of the club came up with the idea of a unique jacket that would be worn only by the members of their rowing club. They designed it to be unlike the jackets of their parents' generation, which were longer and more formal-looking. So a tailor was called in to take the measurements of each of the young men. And the task was completed, and the last decision to be made was, what color should these jackets be? The color chosen was one that is best described as, Jeff, fire engine red. Kind of almost, well... You're close to fire engine red. You, Jeff's got a in my nice uh, shirt on. In my
1: desperate attempt to be a scholar, <laughs> I threw this on today.
0: <laughs> well, I think this is just a quinky dink of the first order. <laughs> I mean, really. Yeah. Now, uh, fire engine red. It was chosen by the club because it would make them get this. I love these these guys. It would make them even more conspicuous on campus. Now they could be seen coming from a long distance away before they'd even be personally recognized. Someone would say something like then, look, it's a member of the rowing team coming along. And other students would say other things, but that was what they were aiming for. You know, if you're that desperate for attention
1: in a crowd... Mm. I've always suggested people just wear nothing. <laughs> I mean, That's always been my, uh, you know. Remember, this is the
0: Victorian <laughs> era, however. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> Probably, yeah. That's all underground stuff, which is another whole thing to read about. Somehow. Well, there go our yeah. ratings. <laughs> now, now uh, this made young men who were already full of themselves even more visible to the rest of the student body. Now, at this point, the new fashion statement started to backfire on the members of the St. John's College Boat Club. You know, I mean, enough is enough. You know, the public is going to stand up <laughs> eventually. Will. Now, uh, maybe politically, we could get I could see a door opening here, but I'm not going to go through <laughs> that one, Jeff, okay? It's but way too early in the new season to go through We're in election that. season, <laughs> yeah. and we'll see what happens. Should be a now, fun
1: year for history spaces. <laughs> yes. <laughs>
0: Now, other members of the student body began to resent this conceit on the part of the already popular young men, and now, instead of being admired for their status, the scholars or uh, rowers, started hearing taunts and insults thrown their way. Some of the remarks were crude, but others were similar to the following, such as this, Quote, Hey, you look as if you're on fire, and... Quote, you look like you're a blaze. Watch out, unquote. These last two more mild comments led to the creation of the disparaging term blazer being coined to refer to the jackets worn by the rowing club. There we go. (laughs) The rowing team, however, turned the meaning of this offensive word on its head by embracing it and making it the designated, agreed-on name of this new jacket. They just turned it to their advantage. The rowing team wore their red jackets jackets with pride, and the flurry of rude comments began to diminish over time. And as time passed, the word blazer made its way into common usage, and that style of jacket became very popular in a variety of colors, not just red spreading from England to America by the 1900s. The blazer got a great boost in popularity in the late 19th century when the Royal Navy in England adopted new uniforms that closely resembled that Cambridge blazer, except that it was blue. The uh, Navy blazer was blue. And I think they call that, you know, your classic... Navy blue Nautical blazer. yeah. blue blazers, yeah. yeah. And that's what they call it, the nautical blue blazer. Now, one of the most well, I just want to make sure I've made my point there. You know, a blazer <laughs> is refers to the fire engine red Absolutely. Thing that they, they had at the Do you own any? Currently? I have a <laughs> the, the nautical blue blazer. Yes, I do. One? Yep. One. How often do you pull that up? Ooh. Well, much more <laughs> when I was actually in a classroom and teaching teachers and other things, yeah. but not much anymore. Hmm. Holding on to it just in case. You
1: know, when you do radio, it's good to look a little t- <laughs> you know, in case you run into your adoring fans by the checkout desk. <laughs> <That's okay. laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs>
0: Yeah, well, that's, you know, if I, I'm i just hiding my popularity by looking like a slob um, all the time, I guess. That Anderson, I mean, yeah. I don't know about his radio show, but his blazer is fantastic. De- woo. you know. <laughs> Well, I should have worn it. <laughs> I think so. I didn't think, well. That's no, all right. <laughs> now, one of the most popular blazers in the world today is which one do you think, Jeff? Quiz, quiz time. One of the most famous types of blazer in the world today. Hmm.
1: I mean, I'm thinking, like, a, are we talking name brand, like Brooks Brothers or no, something? No, not or a oh, brand. okay, okay.
0: It's the one that's associated with an event, and it's given once a year to someone.
1: Uh, I suppose, well, a wet, uh, I don't know. Actually, I might a loss. <laughs> oh, okay. just to mean, show you how my fashion sense uh, is. Uh, it's a sport
0: <laughs> associated with another sport.
1: Oh, it's so like a polo, uh, maybe like a polo? Mm, no, you're getting there, but okay. no, not polo. Um. Geez, the hunting club. I don't
0: know. <laughs> someone should call in with this. Yes, 555-1212. Uh, five, five, we, <laughs> we have some radio shows on Cedarburg Public Library Radio uh, about the, this sport. The golf blazer. That's right. Which color is it? Green. Green. Absolutely. The, the forest oh, green course, blazer. Oh,
1: the, uh, uh, the Masters. The, the Masters. Yes, blazer. of course, of course. Ah,
0: Augusta, Georgia. There we go. Forest green in color. So there you go. The
1: ugliest possible blazer, as far as I can really see. What a prize. You get like the 1970s uh, look like you're ready for a leisure suit, Larry, over there with uh, your green
0: blazer. That's
1: that's just an opinion. They're, They're
0: very conservative there. You know, do they even let women in the club? I don't know. That was oh, a big deal. Oh, well, that's interesting too. Well, they do have a long the PGA time
1: and- Women's Division. So, unfortunately, which yeah, dividing uh, genders in golf is a, is truly the most ridiculous thing. <laughs> you know, I mean, it is a sport that you know. I mean, the precision and skill is what strikes me that would cross all genders and you know races and everything. But it's like, no, we have to have men's and women's, and that's I don't know.
0: I'm opening a can yeah, of worms here on well, your show. Aren't well, I?
1: <laughs>
0: well, men, men for centuries and thousands of years have always used that excuse: women aren't as physically uh, strong as men to deny them access to voting and education and positions of authority or careers because they're not smart enough, they're not strong enough. And that's a whole door. Boy, don't get me started on that one. (laughs) We have a whole season to unpack that one. Oh,
1: yes. (laughs) The Green Blazer of, Uh, uh, of Augusta.
0: But anyway, back to England, because it just occurred to me that, of course, the Blazer originates in England. We then went to the Masters Golf Tournament for the Green Blazer. Now, let's travel back across the Atlantic. We mentioned golf. See, we're wandering here. That's what we do. Golf was invented in Great Britain, and that's in Scotland, to be precise, right. in the 1600s. And I also remember this. There's a Woodrow Wilson quote. quote t- excuse me, not a quote, a quotation. Ah, meaning this, it's real. A quotation <laughs> is a noun. Quote is a verb. So you don't ever say, <laughs> right. I'm being picky out there, everyone. I'm well, we should. Grammar police. I think it's time. It's, I'm going to give you this quote. No. A quotation is the noun, is the thing. The quote is the verb to do it. I'm not going to forget it now. I feel like I've been schooled. Good. You've been scolded. I needed that. Yeah, it's <laughs> Je- Jeff needed scolding <laughs> here. Did. Okay. Now, the Will- Woodrow Wilson said, and he was an avid golfer, and he said, golf is a game in which one endeavors to control a ball with implements Ill-adapted for the purpose. I thought
1: that really <laughs> That's so
0: true, isn't it? What a funny game,
1: though, because you know we now really attribute it to um, uh, presidents so much. Because when uh, our prior president, um, Mr. Obama, was, uh, they love to use it, weaponize it and say, "Oh, he's always on the golf course." And now our current president, who seems to enjoy the game just as much (laughs) if not more More he owns a golf course a number of them (laughs) that's right so you know um and now the other side uses oh you know go go find him on the golf course so it's really becoming kind of a negative derogatory thing i mean i can see coming out of this century with a new you know a a a new insult to say you're you're just on the golf course aren't you (laughs)
0: Oh gee. People always have to they always have to whine and complain about something. You know, you're out on the golf course too much, then you get in office and then you're on there even more. Right. I mean, what is right. that about?
1: It's right. like quantifying our golfing. Well my question is
0: it's not so much about the politicians, it's about the public. <laughs> Why are you swallowing this stuff? Well now you're really Come causing it stop it. That's awesome. Think.
1: Exactly. Read. I mean, this is going to be a fun oh, season of the show. I think we're we're, oh, we're pretty yeah. hopped up this year. You know, we hey. were very gentle last season. I think we're, we're going to really eviscerate, uh, you know.
0: Podcast. Knives out, as yeah, they say. That's <laughs> Have you ever played golf, Jeff?
1: Okay, so my history with golf is spotty at best. <laughs> I carried my dad's uh, golf bag um, initially. And uh, only because at the end of those nine holes, and you know, bless my father for only playing nine and not 18, um, at the end of the nine holes traditionally was very good food at the clubhouse. So I carried the bag knowing that we had a place in Two Rivers called Fairview that had something called, I believe, like the Sheboygan Brat Bomber or something. <laughs> at the end Sounds of the- lethal. Yeah. <laughs>
0: It's amazing you're here today. After a couple it's of so days.
1: nice to be here to talk about it, um, <laughs> and uh, so that was my my impetus for, for. But then eventually, I did. I took um, golf lessons one winter in the Two Rivers Community House, which is a gigantic gym in the middle of uh, on Washington Street for you natives. And um, you would play with uh, wiffle balls, and you'd you'd hit those around the gym. And it was a a riot because you'd be on either side actually pelting each other with wiffle balls. (laughs) It was kind of bizarre. Um, So uh, the longest, shortest answer is yes and no. I I enjoyed the lessons. I played a little bit, but I did not get that special thrill from the game. However, I'm interested, especially with Andy Fish, our PGA professional here on these airwaves, um, every time he comes in and talks about the game, I get very excited about it because he's he's just he's very he's a very good salesman for the game. I mean, when you listen to him, you feel like you feel like you're a champion. He's actually he's a golf teacher, and what a great teacher! Because even just sitting here in this room and there with nary a club to be found, I feel like I'm ready to to take on you know Whistling Straits. <laughs> you know.
0: <laughs> well, maybe we should do a remote show from Whistling Straits. There we sometime. go. <laughs> but I've got more to say about golf here. Absolutely. I mean, but. Uh, I just wanted to, you know, my, my one story about golf that could be interesting is that <laughs> I used to be a caddy at Milwaukee Country Club when I was young, a teenager.
1: Well, that's, I'm sure you have a million great stories. Oh,
0: well... <laughs> Here's the one that is true, and I, <laughs> you know, we true. sat in the caddy shack, and uh, we get called out <laughs> in sure. groups of four. So the four of us got called out. We were up on the first tee with all of us sitting with our bags, waiting for the people to arrive. Oh sure. And then they all came out, and I was kind of distracted talking to someone to the left, and then the person who I was going to caddy for came up to the bag to take out their driver, and I looked up, and it was none other than Vince Lombardi. Whoa! So I you were Lombardi's. G-
1: that is amazing.
0: Yeah, Vince Lombardi's caddy for eighteen holes. Did so. tip? Did tip? Tip good? Well, no, he was a guest, <laughs> so it was oh. the person who took him onto the course. He wasn't a member. He had. He was just being, just starting to be the coach of the Packers oh, okay. or whatever. And okay. Yeah, they hadn't done the Super Bowl thing yet, but that wow. was soon to come.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So wow. there you go. So I've seen them with Caddyshack. Uh, I'm sure you have, too. That's almost a documentary for you in some ways, I'm sure, with your your, your past. Uh.
0: <laughs> well, I tried to do a little better job than that for well, Vince. That's good. Vince. <laughs> Absolutely. Now, the thing that also is interesting, here's another little door. The original golf balls, I learned this, were made of feathers and leather. Oh, interesting. Yeah, oh, wet okay. feathers. You'd... Wet feathers were compressed into a small, very small sphere. And then when they were still wet, they were covered and tightly stitched up inside inside this piece of leather as tightly as possible. Now, as the feathers dried, they expanded. Sure. Making this small ball very, tight. very hard. Yeah, yeah. And thus the first golf balls were created. That's kind of interesting. <laughs> I thought feathers, it must have been very light. And and the first uh, use of the term four. Four. <laughs> Be very okay. careful. Yeah. Um, now, and there's one more digression I'm sure? going to yeah, since back to uh, England here because of the university students who uh, came up with the idea for the blazer. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, since that word appeared so many times in the above post, here's another word history. The word varsity, which is meaning the first string of a college or high school athletic team. The like best. The best. The best, best the one. Best. Yeah. Comes to us from England and is a shortened form of the word university.
1: Oh, very nice. No- I
0: had no idea. Yeah. Originally oh, yeah. in England it meant the university team or their best players. Now, this derivation can be seen clearly because the word varsity first appeared, as far as historians are aware, Jeff, in 1846, and meant the teams of either Oxford or Cambridge universities. They were called varsity. That originated on those two campuses. Oh, right, right, and then right. spread throughout England, and then that's what we use today.
1: That's really interesting. So they just basically carved off the vowel <laughs> of university and changed a vowel.
0: Yeah. And here's another thing I found out. Let's give Oxford its due because it's called Oxford University from the fact that it was founded and started near a fording place for oxen on a nearby river still is <laughs> <laughs> well the highest class oxen <laughs> only you know just went class. to war
1: with that with that bunch yeah. Oh, so. uh, very interesting yeah, the, uh, yeah, the varsity thing sword. is you know, i really i'm glad you explained that because i've never <laughs> i've never fully grasped the idea of what a varsity team was i thought because you get a mishmash of you get some freshmen a couple sophomore definitely a lot of seniors and I, I I was wondering how they cobble this together, and what you know, what kind of scale do they use, and is it's obviously all subjective then, yeah. and and probably probably open for extreme uh, debate and possibly controversy or
0: varsity. Well, it's it's very <laughs> much like this word fascination that we yeah. went over in right. a previous show, remember? That had to do with pornographic representations Right, right, this, absolutely. on the walls of buildings in ancient Rome with sure, all sure, of this man. and uh and
1: they have that, something called like junior varsity, which is of yeah. course then you're like you're almost the best of the best. Yeah. Is that how yeah. that works? Out? In other words, <laughs> I mean, not quite the best. You're one. right, right. Yeah, so, so, what a strange term, and I'm surprised that Americans have adopted that so and embraced it so much.
0: Well, know. yeah, because during, well, uh, we had gotten over that whole thing, you know, with uh, the late 18th century and early 19th century of trying to establish our own identity as a nation and sure, our own sure. language and all that. So, by the late 19th century, we were adapting. A lot of British traditions, because our aristocracy and the rich and the Carnegies and the Vanderbilts and the Astors, yeah, and they they aped a lot of English (laughs) habits in their upper class. We had our own snobs. We don't need theirs theirs anymore. (laughs) But they're American (laughs) snobs. So we like them better. (laughs) We love them. Yeah, we do. We embrace them. (laughs) Well, some people don't, but uh, (laughs) what the heck? Well, inequality, let's not go through that door. (laughs) Right right now, because I wanted to ask you, Jeff. Yes, Here's something I found out. What is the difference between a blazer and a sport coat, we, and yeah. a suit coat? I'm glad you asked that question, and you know why? No,
1: because we're going to break.
0: Oh, we are. <laughs> so
1: we're gonna, we're gonna. It's called a cliffhanger.
0: Oh, People okay. have to come back and find well, out what we answer a, to those questions. Well, I have a whole lot of other stuff, and we're going to get into Queen Victoria when we get back as well. So, fantastic. Here
1: we go. All right, jumping at the woodside is our break music, also from Benny Goodman. Nothing wrong with that. We'll be back.
0: Well, I like that uh,
1: song, Jeff. It just came up yeah. automatically on my playlist.
0: Oh, there <laughs> we go. I really like Benny. We have Benny Goodman all of the time here. At we can Spaces. do that. Yeah, we, I think so. Uh, done let's, deal. Let's sample his catalog. It's in the books. Now, we were. T- I left off difference between a blazer, sport coat, suit coat. Now, if you're, it seems out in the world of clothing, that is a big deal. Maybe we don't realize it, but here it is. <laughs> a blazer is solid in color and has no pattern. Right. And it has metal buttons. Oh, I didn't so know that. A blazer, So a blazer has metal buttons, Jeff? Uh, it seems to be a distinguishing characteristic. But that, just the fact of that, reminded me of a story about buttons on the sleeves of suit coats, sport coats, and blazers. And even on the... F- even on fall and winter coats, you ever notice they have these buttons that are on the sleeves? Oh sure. Yeah. They serve they serve yeah. no yeah, they serve they no, purpose. Serve no yeah. practical purpose. They don't button or attach anything to yeah. anything else. They do get hooked frequently on car doors, uh your 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 yeah. dates dress <laughs> leading all kinds of problems. So yeah. Boy, I've been married a long time and love it, so I can't even remember <laughs> what that's like. And because I date my wife every... Oh, hi a, there, Lori. You're the best,
1: and you are. You earned some points today. Oh, <laughs> very good work. Well,
0: now, where did these buttons come from? Then, if they serve no practical purpose, what in the who came up with this idea, and where and what is it? Okay, and there's a story. Now, why buttons on the sleeve? And we have to go back to the Napoleonic Wars from the 1790s through po you know um Napoleon's demise in 1815 it would be his fault yeah well we can blame him <laughs> absolutely sure it was the sharp red-coated soldiers of England during that period versus the stylish blue-coated French troops they were both very well looked really wonderful so wait a minute they wanted to look good on the battlefield yeah well you know the the british had the red coats and with the white pants and then the, the white straps across their chest and the big hats and all that. And then the French had the big blue coats with their white um, white pants and then the high black boots. So they, they were really well-dressed on the <laughs> battlefield. Now, Napoleon was very proud of the appearance of his sh- soldiers. He would review his troops, and he noticed something, especially in cold weather, that the sleeves of their uniforms were discolored and dirty. And this disturbed him very much because he was persnickety guy and he was really invested in those good-looking uniforms. And he was told by his officers that the men would wipe the snot off their noses with the sleeves of their uniforms, especially when marching or in battle they didn't have much time for anything else you know they were busy uh, yeah yeah anyway busy yeah. with our stuff <laughs> couldn't rip out a hanky and take a break so uh so he ordered to get over this he ordered that rows of sharp edged buttons be sewn onto the sleeves of the uniforms to discourage the practice What a Ouch. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Ouch. Now, these weren't just regular buttons. I mean, they were sharp, jagged things. Yeah, you would not want to do that to discourage it. Now, this stylistic change spilled over into civilian circles, and that's why to this day you have those useless buttons on the sleeves of both men and women's jackets and coats. Now see that just a little thing like that opens the door and then here's a story for you that's why they're that's there. So those
1: idiotic buttons are there because of an idiotic general who wanted his troops to look
0: dapper on the uh, on the bloodfields of (laughs) hey they were they were winning battles let them wipe their (laughs) sleeves with snot if they want they're winning gosh general jerk
1: (laughs) unbelievable but
0: anyway i thought that was kind of that's
1: amazing i mean we could we could stop that at any time (laughs) any time, because you're not losing anything outside of a tribute to a four-foot, two-inch maniac. I mean, it's
0: ridiculous. But but anyway, we have to leave Napoleon here, and we have to circle back to the blazer. Now, remember we started talking about what a blazer is, and metal buttons got us off into this, but (laughs) blazers come in many colors now, pink, blue, yellow, colors galore. Especially during prom season in the spring, which is going to be coming, and in two, oh, three yeah. months. Absolutely. I'm going to date myself by saying this. I remember the Lawrence Welk show. Have you ever watched it on Oh, PBS? very much. Very much so. My grandfather uh, was huge on it. And some of those early color shows. Yeah. Uh, the The blazers and jackets that those guys wore on that show were just outrageously colored. Pretty aqua, kind of turquoise. Wow! Yeah, 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 absolutely. Bright as green, uh, any color out there, they had it. And I was, I did a little bit of reading and found out Lawrence Welk wanted to take advantage of the early color technology, so he uh, dressed up the band and that in these bright, bright blazers, just to uh Well,
1: Myron Florin is so facially uninteresting, we gave him a bright blazer. Yeah.
0: Well, <laughs> Myron Florin can stand tall on his own. <laughs> he's the world's greatest accordion player. He was very good. <laughs> yeah. Now, what is a sport coat, though? How is that different from a blazer? Ooh, what now, is the difference? if you're a tailor, you know all this, right, but this I is, have uh... no idea. So I thought I'm just going to come and report. A sport coat has both pattern. And comes in varied various colors, and it is more casual. It's a more casual coat that dates back to the 19th century in England, about the same time when the blazer came into being. When gentlemen would wear this kind of coat while engaging in outdoor activities such as golf, hunting, fishing, and thus the term sport coat. Even though men do not use this. Uh, jacket for those purposes any longer. would it be great if the
1: NFL adopted sport coats on Sundays you know, yeah. for the players? <laughs> you know. Well, you know, these,
0: these were kind of casual. They're not as formal-looking. Sport coats can be very sure, formal-looking sure. now, but then they were very casual, and, and men even wore a tie when they were out shooting or fishing or whatever. Because gentlemen did this sort of thing.
1: Again, I, yeah, I think so. the Packers should play. They, they can keep the green and gold yeah. uh, thing, but I, I want ties and sport coats next Sunday. Under their, you know, with the pad. They can still wear their pads, just oversized oh, sport gosh. coats. Get uh, David Burns sport coats from the Talking Heads. Those always had big shoulders, you know. And, oh, yeah, I you remember know, that. I'm just thinking. not <laughs> uh, making sense, isn't Ryan? that the one the, Absolutely, the movie? yeah, yeah. yeah so. I love them.
0: <laughs> now, here's, you have a blazer, sport coat, now a suit coat. And a suit coat isn't much different from a sport coat, but Jeff, what does it have that the other doesn't? Lack of buttons. No, it has nope. a matching set of trousers, so it has a more formal look about it because they match. Oh, the trousers I see, and the coat match. Okay. Yeah. okay. Sport coat, you can have another color trouser, or even khakis, whatever. So and you still can't wipe your snot on it, though. No, don't do that. All right. <laughs> If you're on a date, don't do that.
1: No, don't. Yeah, Especially for prom.
0: <laughs> but you're going to impress your date with that story oh, I mean, yeah. if you want to. Oh, yeah, she'll, she'll love that. I'm sure she'll be all so ears for that one. The first
1: thing you tell her when she gets in the car. You, and I heard, you know what I heard on History Spaces? That, By the way, that would totally be me. That's why my dating record is very spotty. Uh,
0: so, anyway, this is too strange. Now, a fashion note. Any of these items, you know, can be dressed up with a pair of high-top Converse tennis shoes, just in case sure. you wanted to know. <laughs> Absolutely. Sport coat, suit coat, or blazer.
1: You know, uh, uh, David Letterman, in the uh, late 80s and through on his NBC show, once he got to CBS, he became a bit more formal when he moved over to the Ed Sullivan Theater. But um, on his uh, later NBC show, Late Night with David Letterman, he was one of the first on television to wear a sport coat and, you know, slacks with uh, tennis shoes. He wore tennis shoes for probably like five years on his show. And it was cool. It became kind of the epitome of cool, you know, and back back when then. And
0: my latest glimpses of him... Show him to be even more casual now with the big beard. Kind of looks everything. like the Unabomber now. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah <it's,
1: laughs> uh, but, but you know, <laughs> all things now, to all now. people.
0: <laughs> <So>. <laughs> okay. Now here's something else. You know, way leads on to way, and <laughs> all that. So, this all begs the question. Where does the necktie originate? <laughs> no, because neckties go with the blazers. going head to toe here today, aren't we? <laughs> I mean, really. Now, we have to go back to the 17th century, Okay, 1668. We have a date here. Yeah. In 1668, a regiment of Croatian mercenary horse soldiers made an appearance in France during the Thirty Years' War. And they were wearing elaborate and colorful linen and Muslim scarves around their necks. And other stories say that these soldiers appeared wearing colorful capes, probably both capes and scarves, that blew in the wind behind them as they rode on their horses. And they gave a very dashing appearance, Jeff. Absolutely. Kind of like we do here when we're sitting in a <laughs> no, studio. Absolutely. Very yeah. dashing. Yeah. You should see us, folks. Yes. <laughs> now, fashion-conscious French men and women were very taken with these colorful capes and or scarves, depending on what story you believe. Now, upper-class men and women began to appear in public wearing colorful pieces of linen and lace around their necks, either in the form of a cape or a scarf. And both were attached to the necks of the wearer using fancy, elaborate knots with long, flowing ends. Oh, you can just see this now. The French call these knots and ties at the neck, cravats. Oh, absolutely, yeah. yes. Their which was their name for Croatians. Yeah, yeah. Who inspired this new fashion? And this is called an eponym, if you really want to know. But it's when when uh, a word in um, how can I say? Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. I'll have to skip over yeah, that. I'm right. gonna. Yeah, <laughs> I want to stay on my subject here. There we are. Who now? The fashion spread quickly to England, and over time, the cravat, remember, which came from the French word for Croatians, the cravat became smaller and smaller and smaller. The cape-like and elaborate neck decorations became more simple, and by the 20th century in America, the necktie as we know it today was established. And I even remember the string ties of the 1960s. I have, I still have a couple in them. Oh, sure, sure. Yeah, I wear them every once in a while just Absolutely. for fun. What the heck? Now, uh, here's, again, you thought we're done maybe. How much can we really squeeze out of like a suit coat <laughs> blazer, but we're not done yet. I would think not. Nope. Another detail of a blazer, sport coat, suit coat is the buttonhole. Oh, sure, yes. Buttony that's up in the lapel.
1: Absolutely. Ever notice
0: that there is no corresponding button (laughs) that could be used with that buttonhole? You're just
1: debunking the entire garment industry this morning, aren't you? (laughs) Well, these are things maybe you haven't
0: thought about but really are worthy of deep thought. It's going to go
1: straight to the garment industry and they're going to say, some guy named Anderson in Cedarburg is asking dangerous questions. Yeah,
0: no. (laughs) NSA is monitoring every word we say. Now, no corresponding button for the buttonhole in your lapel. Now, where did that come from? (laughs) Now, a story that I'm familiar with is that Victoria and Albert, Queen of England, Queen Victoria. Yeah, yeah. And the prince consort, Albert, were standing in a receiving line at a royal occasion. And the queen, being first in line, was greeting guests but was distracted by Albert. They had just been married, and he was a very handsome man, and she was very much in love with him. Her eyes caught sight of a beautiful vase of flowers across the hall in which they were standing. And so she suddenly broke out of line, and everyone stopped, thinking, what was the queen doing? She went to the bouquet across the hall, broke off a flower and came back and looking albert in the eyes lovingly gave him the flower as a token of her love. Aha. Well, the royal couple continued to greet guests but albert found it awkward holding the flower in his hands because he was supposed to be you know being a little more dignified at holding onto a flower. <laughs> flower in his hand. He couldn't put it down. So what could he do? Then he had an idea. He had a servant get him a small knife, and he cut a small hole in the lapel of his jacket. That was one expensive jacket, too. Okay, (laughs) And placed the flower in the hole, and this freed both his hands and made him more comfortable. Now, there you go. Another version, though, of this story says, Victoria presented Albert a small bouquet of flowers on their wedding day and that he made the gentlemanly gesture of cutting a hole in his lapel to hold some of the flowers. Aha. Now. Either way, it
1: goes back to flowers. (laughs) Yeah,
0: so there you go. (laughs) But uh, there is even another story that I came across. (laughs) I thought, well, how many stories can you have for the same thing? (laughs) The same buttonhole. (laughs) But here, this isn't unquestionly unquestioned good source GQ magazine oh okay. well, <laughs> yeah. well they say y'all end all yeah. they reported that the hole is in the lapel because a string or piece of cord used to be attached to men's hats oh. and at the end of which was a button it was at the other end of this cord there was a button that could be attached to this buttonhole in the lapel to prevent a gentleman's hat from blowing away now that's functional i can
1: get yeah. behind that that is fine yeah. this flower thing is ridiculous i mean here's the thing what if she gave him like a ham sandwich well then we have like <laughs> a special like ham sandwich uh slight you know like a, a
0: sp- extra sandwich you pocket mean, you I mean, mean, I mean a ham sandwich <laughs> as a tribute to him for her love Of all that <laughs> what more loving thing could she have done than giving him a ham sandwich it's you clear. heard it here first <laughs> it's cuz he wasn't jewish. Uh
1: but yeah, I mean it's uh, you know, it's an interesting thing. I am just am just underscoring how strange human
0: beings are. You know, I think both could be true because you could have the the flower story could be true, but this was a way also to utilize the buttonhole sure. in a more practical ongoing way. Right, right. And in addition, you know, giving giving it additional functionality Absolutely. that little buttonhole.
1: I mean, and we we obviously have to deal with corsages at times you know and so having a hole for for something like that is logical i mm-hmm. mean i can see that um although frequently they just pin it to you they pin of course you know that's what you get so i mean yeah. it's a strange thing
0: i don't well oh, by the way i yeah. wanted to mention you had mentioned the ham sandwich as a tribute <laughs> yes <laughs> as <laughs> oh, i prone to do on these i oh let <laughs> you know what my <laughs> wife thinks of that when i make a <laughs> should bring her one today there's something more romantic she's romance- pretty <laughs> much a vegetarian so i imagine <laughs> her surprise up. but i i was reading and here's evidence of all the the great deep and meaningful reading that i do absolutely is that i i was reading and came across the fact that it was in the 1820s when a cookbook came out with a recipe for a ham sandwich and And kind of formalized the introduction of the sandwich Uh into American culture. There was in this cookbook in the 1820s a recipe for making a ham sandwich and presenting it as a meal (laughs) for your family. I should
1: do that on the radio here. I should do, uh,
0: I should say, you know, first you take two slices of bread,
1: (laughs) then you get your meat. (laughs) Thanks for tuning in, everybody.
0: I hope. (laughs) Well, we're here for you. We're. Let's see if we can get serious here for a moment. <laughs> we'll, we'll do our best. Yeah, so anyway, take your pick of those stories. I mean, they're, I think they're all maybe true. Who knows? A few more things we take for granted today that Queen Victoria was responsible for. We've talked about a number of things already. Oh, sure. I mean, guys, yeah. wearing white at weddings.
1: Oh, yeah. She
0: well. wore a white wedding <laughs> dress. This was not common at all. But when she did it at her wedding in the 1840s, I believe, well, I'm not yeah. sure, it was, 30s. She got married when she was 21. And, but uh, that caught on with others in the upper classes. And then now by today, well, it's just...
1: Well, apparently, it's supposed to send a message. Yeah, it's it's a targeted message to your, <laughs> to, to your to your uh, wedding guests that uh, that uh, you are you are of pure heart and mind and everything else.
0: But in other cultures, <laughs> th- it's not true.
1: No, white it, is not a wedding. It's a funeral dress in Korea. Yeah, yeah. yeah so I so mean, in, you know,
0: in India, I I saw this. Uh, in Indian wedding and all the saris and the beautiful colors, it's so colorful. It's not yeah. monochromatic white at all. Yeah. It's so joyful, absolutely. So, yeah, just look into that. I mean, those are fun. Now, something else. Jeff, pot smoking is common today, and getting commoner by the hour. Yeah. Well, I noticed it, you know, in the last month or two, they've they've granted even more liquor licenses in Cedarburg. I mean, it's <laughs> like really. <laughs> How many places do we need we, that can we can consume we can get alcohol, that we can't have that CBD store? I mean, if we the, can get
1: everyone drunk, they won't uh, crave pot. That's the goal here. <laughs> we just we got to get everyone blitzed. What did those people
0: say at the the the, uh, the meetings? That, you know, when they were trying to oh sure get uh, that passed. That will we, we can't have that. What will our students think? Right, and all right. That, and having yeah. the downtown full of you uh, know hippies and, and all that. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, my God, you know, <laughs> my daughter used to be down here with all of her friends and the young people already are really ticked off because they have to walk around they work in these uh, bars and restaurants and things The parents, people they know come in and they drink and right. they get drunk and they go out and they drive away. Well, already, what sort of example yeah. is that setting?
1: Isn't it nice to have someone with a lampshade on their head tell you how to behave? Yeah.
0: And then the the town council, oh, more liquor licenses. Right. Let's just right. spread it around. But we can't have that CBD store. No, oh, no. I just, They'll please. get ideas. Have, have a little bit of thought about this stuff, you know, Oh, I, haven't you heard? We're done with thought. Oh,
1: uh, <laughs> we are expunging it we're from into uh, alternative facts. Yes, That's,
0: absolutely. That? But here's another thing: Victoria was a pot smoker. Queen Victoria. Wow. Yeah, wow. she was. She, and she had extreme menstrual cramps. She very yeah. uh, they were very extreme. She was in a lot of pain, and so she smoked marijuana. It gave her relief and it was all well, Conservative
1: legal. old men find both pot and menstrual cramps uh, <laughs>
0: offensive, though. See,
1: that's the problem.
0: That's no excuse. Right? That's <laughs> God's punishment <laughs> God. on you. For picking that <laughs> apple off the tree, it was a banana or something it's else? Going but back to yeah,
1: going back to the pomegranate. I right,
0: know right. it's when it, 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 you can't win. No, you really no, can't. <laughs>
1: That's our message for today. Yeah,
0: it was it was legal. Now, but now I found this interesting. I mean, I've been reading in the paper. Pot's legal now in Illinois. Yeah. recreational pot illinois oh, yeah yeah michigan minnesota states are tumbling to the green wave i mean it's yes. yeah yeah, yeah wisconsin we're holding out though. we will be number 50 by the
1: way <laughs> i'm sure of the 50th state to yeah. go green
0: <laughs> i mean when it went uh legal in illinois on january 1st yeah they oh, one of these news shows these local news <laughs> shows which are nothing more than no. a rag i mean what is totally this? oh it's legal in illinois but let's they had an interview with one of these sheriffs down on the county oh. on the Illinois line. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he was like, well, it, it doesn't matter if it's legal there. We're going to keep an eye out for that. <sighs> <laughs> really? If there's any indication that we can pull you all, we're going to search for that sort of thing. We like actually, uh, we put
1: a garrison up on uh, mm. on uh, the the roller coasters of Great America so we can watch the uh, watch the border better. We just, we <laughs> oh, just park the roller coaster. <laughs> my
0: wife, my wife and daughter had a great comment after that thing. She <laughs> yeah. said, "Well, why in the hell don't you?" Get your butts out there and stop all the sex trafficking coming out of Chicago right up through Milwaukee and up into the Fox River Valley. It's a horrible situation. Oh, absolutely! But yeah. you know, we're worried about pot smoking. <laughs> but never mind the, sl- you know, the white slavery going on. It's
1: all the, it's all the apple tree. It's oh, all it's, the apple tree. Because <laughs>
0: women, you did it. You know, it was all your fault. Oh boy, That's we got are the got a long ways oh, to go. Got it. So anyway, write your letters to the library if you <laughs> yeah. don't like what we're saying. Right. Yeah. Now it's only in the nat- last ninety years. That pot's been an issue since the 1930s, basically. Right. So, now, lastly, uh, Victoria gave birth to seven children without pain relief, even Jeez. though she had a lower pain threshold. Sure, I mean, sure. Yeah. Lower in well, men's pain threshold is very low. Oh, we're compared to women <laughs> giving birth to children. Right. No. Right. no. She gave birth to seven children without pain relief. That's a wow. That's Man, I'm not even telling at all. Yeah. Now, uh, because it was forbidden by the medical establishment to give pain relief during childbirth. They would not do it. And here's where it comes from. Reinforced by the Christian church as Eve's punishment for her sin in the Garden of Eden. Okay? just want to emphasize that. I'm shaking my head right now, but you can't see, hear it on the radio. Also, <laughs> words came from the pulpit, from all the ministers throughout the lands in the United States, England, Europe, that uh, this is the reason why it was denied and forbidden by medical practice, religious dogma, etc. The woman's screams of pain will waft up to heaven and be as music to the ears of God, because He wanted to hear that. Well, at least there's science behind it. I wanted to make sure oh, yes. that, that there was some heavy science. There. Oh, okay. <laughs> Everything's fine. It can then. be
1: quantified.
0: <laughs> but Victoria, after seven kids, she had had enough. I, that was it. She said, uh, "The hell with this stuff." Excuse me for saying that. Absolutely. But no, no. She demanded relief. I can just see this picture, grabbing <laughs> them by the shirt. You will give me pain relief. I order you. And, well, she was the queen. And once the yeah. queen had done it and broken the taboo, yeah, yeah. the practice spread and was more commonly accepted. Not that wow. certain women of another class or another belief system might have had help from midwives sure. oh, and all yeah. that, but just general uh, societal practice. And if you ask the medical establishment, run by men, and the religious establishment, run by men, they would have said, "No, it's forbidden." Now, But Jeff, The show is run by men. Well, <laughs> we
1: <laughs> could fix that, oh, I suppose. We that.
0: Well, we'll see what we can do in yeah. the coming days. But we're not yet done yet, there, Jeff. No, no. I have one more thing. We're. We started out with Oxford and rowing sculling team and moved on from there. But there's one more story to tell that I think it's, uh, (laughs) yeah. Now we're going to go to New York City in 1844. There was an election that year for mayor. Okay. Now, evidently, crime was a big, big issue. Still, we talk about it now. They talked about it then. This reform candidate in the mayoral election in 1844 promised to create the first full time trained uniformed police department in the United States. As I said, crime must have been an issue because, anyway, before this, it was done with volunteers who patrolled the streets. And evidently he was quite popular because of this position and he won the election. There you go. Okay. So he established the force, trained them, and put them in uniforms, which were blue in color. That's kind of the common color for uh, police. Blue lives matter, as that phrase says. That's right, yeah. And the uniforms had shiny copper buttons like new pennies on the new uniforms. Now, imagine that a dark navy blue uniform with bright copper uh, buttons, someone walking down the street. Now, street-smart criminals and delinquents noted this and made up what they thought to be an insulting nickname for these now highly visible symbols of authority. They were called coppers.
1: Ah, very good. (laughs) Which was
0: eventually shortened (laughs) to cops and lives in our vocabulary to this very day. Now... Of course, that's not the only story. I don't know. There's another one floating around out there that it's a, 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 an abbreviation, a, a word created from a series of words, Citizens on Patrol from England. Okay, they sure. They used to have uh, volunteer citizens patrolling the streets. Sure, sure. C-O-P, cop. <laughs> now, that's, uh, I don't know if that's true or not. I like the story I just told you, but here's another one. It derives from the Dutch word "kappen," k a p e n, meaning meaning to take, as in a thief. Oh, okay. You know? Or maybe it's a bribe. I don't know. <laughs> that's kind of interesting. Well. So you see, once you open the door, any you know oh. way leads on to way. It's it's amazing. So that's where we started with the blazer in Oxford, and we ended up in New York City in 1844 with cops and. Perfect, but that's it, Jeff. Fantastic. You know, it's it's interesting how one thing leads to another, and I hope I kept everyone's attention with a lot of uh, major digressions. But thanks, Jeff. It's a major digression
1: day here on History Spaces, and that's that's why we come. That's why we enjoy it. So uh, we're going to end. Uh, we were talking about. Uh, oh Hilla, yeah, what do we have? Well, we we're ending. Uh, with um, you know, talking about uh, Illinois a little bit and how there's uh, it's a little 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 cloudy down there maybe today uh, a little uh, extra cloud. <laughs> this is Chicago from uh, Benny Goodman again. So next week come back. I love it and we'll talk about more stuff on History Spaces.
0: More stuff. <laughs> okay, bye everyone.